Le Chat Noir Journal, a prelude. Quote, a reflection on our complex existence, the events which got us here, and how the context of my being an artist and entrepreneur shapes my perspective, unquote. This was the description which first came to me when the crazy thought of having a weekly or daily journal for public consumption became a possibility. In a world where anyone can write anything and have at least the lukewarm interest of their social media followers to read it, the frequency of people who went out of their way to tell me my writing was different, my life was unique, and my words were something valuable to them increased and continues to the more I put myself out there. So why not give it a go? I love writing. And in the last decade or so, there have been a few significant turning points which have expanded both why and how I write. But before I dive into some background on how someone like me, a lifelong working musician and producer, would start a career as a writer of all things, I should set the scene I'm presently in. I'm a sucker for coffee culture, but as much as I love the hip cafes I found in the States and other places in the world, <laughs> there's nothing quite like the scene in Europe. The ambiance alone somehow helps me think clearer and also helps me feel I'm amongst people I can relate to, regardless of whether anyone speaks to one another or simply enjoys their coffee or their book or their writing. When I romanticize this scene, my own somewhat stereotypical visions come to mind. Donhauser's quasi-fictional 1840 painting of several iconic figures at the time listening to Liszt at the piano. Café Frauenhuber in 18th century Vienna with its gorgeous bathhouse arches and maybe Mozart or Beethoven entertaining the Viennese elite. But there's always one place which takes the cake, if I could actually go back in time to be a fly on the wall in. And that's where I am right now. The unofficial bohemian heartbeat of the Belle Epoque. A place where the vibe was ripe enough to inspire the likes of Van Gogh, Pissarro, and Toulouse-Lautrec. Where the words of some of the poems of Allais or Mallarmé were first heard, where a moment of interaction or observation might have inspired one of the great short stories of Montpassant, where, in defiance of the previous prohibition of pianos in drinking establishments at the time, one was purchased and installed and shortly after used by the young Claude Debussy and Eric Satie to compose some of their early works, where admittance of priests and soldiers was strictly forbidden by a Swiss guard at the entranceway, and the waiters were dressed as academicians. In this spirit, as I daintily double-fist a black coffee in a glass of Calvados, sitting with fountain pen and paper in a dark, smoky corner of Le Chat Noir, 1882, I speak to you. So now that a more inspiring ambiance has been established, a few short anecdotes which led to my first, more formal attempts at writing.
shortly after we moved into an apartment in Rote Insel in Berlin, just days after the official start of the world-altering pandemic we've all recently lived through in our own extraordinary ways. I was building a makeshift shelf in our bathroom, standing on a foldable piano bench, as some not-so-brilliant pianists do, it shifted under me, and I fell quite freely and dangerously. I knocked my head on a hundred-year-old Heizung, a German radiator, and landed on a marble floor with the only thing saving me from a more bone-crushing impact being the piano bench itself, which bent under the weight of my body to save what seemed like a sure broken wrist or rib or worse. I sat up, knowing I might be in shock, and took stock of my situation. My hands and feet worked fine. My elbows and knees could bend without interruption. My ass hurt a bit, but considering my usual chronic pain in my lower back and my regular sciatic flare-ups at the time, it wasn't so unusual. It was in this moment I realized that if I had fallen just slightly different I could be looking at a completely different life, or lack of life, from that point on. I had recently been married, and the possibility of my wife being pregnant was certainly not impossible at that time. This part of the equation was what made the decision to start my memoirs so obvious to me at that exact moment. What if I hit my head a little harder, or in the wrong spot and couldn't tell stories anymore? What if my hands were destroyed and I couldn't type or conduct or play the piano? And though I have volumes of journals from boyhood to present day, a lot of them were written at times where I was intentionally ambiguous in case they were found by someone out to get me or someone I should protect from my own sometimes unforgiving and harsh thoughts about them or about myself. There's not much material where I'm communicating directly to someone who I want to have a deep understanding of who I actually am, or was. They were mostly letters to my future self, and quite cryptic letters at that. How would my child even know me the way I'd want to be known if I didn't take the time to set up this kind of insurance of my life story? So I wrote 15 chapters <laughs> over the course of just a few months. And once I became convinced I wasn't likely to die anytime soon, I slowed that frequency down to one or two a year. And it continues. So another one was my first contract in China. It was such a mind-blowing opportunity for me with so many profound unknowns awaiting on the horizon that I decided to write a near-daily journal in the form of a series of emailed letters to a group of my closest friends and family. I sent them out with pictures embedded about every 10 days, sharing my many stories and impressions. This was before this kind of storytelling was so normalized through platforms like Instagram and even more immersive mediums like vlogging, etc., the reactions to these personal travelogues were fascinating to me, and the people who enjoyed them most asked for more, hinting at me going further down the personal route. 
While the adventures of the travels and cultural interactions were fascinating, they reminded me that the meat of it all is really in one's personal connections, impressions, and intimate musings about those experiences. At the time, I was still pretty protective of my personal life, but in a very different way than I am today. Back then, I think I was a bit scared of revealing too much because I had just recently broken into the Broadway scene really fast with a conducting position in a really popular show, and I didn't want anyone judging me based on anything but the quality of my work. I think I was the youngest conductor on Broadway at the time, though I really didn't want anyone to know that. In my experience up to that point, I had learned to always keep my age a secret in professional settings. People who knew me from an early age knew my story and could probably assume my age. But as my professional circles expanded, people assumed I was much older and I had much more experience than I did. And this led to both trust in hiring me, confidence in collaboration, and respect in rehearsals and productions, which would be much harder to gain from industry veterans if they knew I was just a kid. In contrast, today I'm protective of my personal life because I see the importance of it being something sacred and separate from a career. A career that sometimes demands no boundaries and pushes in on the walls of any chance at a healthy private life beyond it. So. With all that living and learning behind me, I feel pretty confident I can write quite intimately while still protecting and not compromising the rich personal life I've worked so hard to build over the decades. So, now about the importance of words. These days, there is an incredible spectrum both writers and people in the public eye have to be aware of. On one hand, words no longer mean anything. Someone in a position of great power can say something horrible and then dial it back after criticism, claiming he or she was just kidding, somehow with absolutely no sense of accountability of what those words might have caused. Similarly, there is zero accountability for anonymous trollers on social media and a seemingly endless tolerance for preposterous things people do and say. But in parallel to this unfortunate climate of anti-intellectualism is an equally anti-intellectual side of the spectrum which extracts false implications from words in order to support weak or desperate agendas. For example, I can write an article saying I like apples. And someone can read that and proclaim, with no evidence or motivation, that I don't like oranges. And because liking oranges just happens to be the trend at the time, this can turn into a vitriolic attack on me simply for stating that I like apples. Then, if I have the audacity to say something like, I only eat organic apples grown locally, imagine how much could be drawn out of that. Suddenly, I'm cancelled simply for liking organic apples. Moving more directly into journalism, we now live in a world where writing an editorial, which is by definition an opinion piece, can inspire an unwarranted attack from someone with a different opinion. 
Or let's say someone writes a book, which is clearly based on a specific perspective and whose approach was clearly decided upon with an incredible amount of thought over an impressive amount of time. This book is then reviewed by someone who not only feels they can insist on and describe the book this author should have written and the topics this author should have covered, but the reviewer's chief editor actually accepts this idealistic editorial of its own, which should no longer be classified as a review, and allows it to be published. These are impossible climates for writers to operate in, and toxic environments where Conflict not only becomes the attraction, but also the most valuable commodity. I refuse to be part of this self-perpetuating pit of ignorance, and I will do my best to present topics of interest to my readers, as well as listen to voices of reason and accept that everyone is entitled to an opinion based in sound reasoning. There is almost never one absolute truth on any subject, especially when you consider the ever-increasing pace at which we discover what we thought we knew is no longer true, especially in science and medicine. This is not to be confused with the new trend of speaking your truth, which is commonly used to express quite the opposite of truth. But that said, no one can really be 100% sure of their criticism of someone else's idea of truth. Even our own brain's processing of truths is subjective based on our individual abilities, our upbringings, our intellects, the way we process our audio and visual fields, etc. ad nauseum. This is part of the beautiful mystery of being human and finding our way in the world during these short, precious lives. But there is something we all do have, and that is this moment. And that's really all we have. So with this in mind, I'll commence my writing. I'm never searching for conflict, though I recognize the fact I might write about topics which trigger passionate responses. These topics will hopefully lead to the suggestion by you of other topics. I'll read your emails, and I will respond to them, both in my writing and in direct messages. But I will not participate in or allow a comment thread which spirals into a cesspool of negativity. Life's too short. This moment is all we have. I've chosen to share some of my moments with you, and I recognize the value of you sharing yours with me as well. Thank you. And welcome to Le Chat Noir Journal. Un autre café d'orsi café, Here are some prospective topics for future Le Chat Noir journal entries. Please let me know if any of these sound great to you and uh, if you have any ideas of your own. Here they are. Has pop music become too accessible? Changing the world. The slow burn of creating something significant. 
sustainability as an artist. A walk through Alte National Gallery, Berlin. Authentic, misleading, and other misused words. Mindful practice in producing and development. What does the recent Oscars, Grammys, Tonys say about us? The evolution of politics in my own art. War and art. Coffee culture, a reflection of the alternative to alternative. The Oxford comma and why words are important. New York State of Mind, abroad. Ascension Ensemble and other pipe dreams. Dating the app and other life lessons. Thanks again, guys. See you next time.